Good morning. Precious saints and beloved friends, I'm going to ask you to uh, please join me in prayer as we ask God's blessing on our time this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. You are good and you do good. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. And so we're asking that you would help us by your spirit this morning to hear and heed your word. We need it more than we realize. Invigorate us. Impress upon our hearts the utter importance of knowing your word and living in light of it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Smack dab in the middle of your Bibles, we find the longest chapter of the Bible about the Bible, which is Psalm 119. Psalm 119 emphasizes the the greatness of the written word of God and the grandeur of the God of the written word. And there's a presupposition that the psalmist and I share that needs to be communicated up front. And that presupposition is this, that that God is trustworthy. Can I get an amen? Amen. God is trustworthy and therefore his word is trustworthy. Specifically, Psalm 119 conveys that God's written word is to be trusted, it's to be hoped in, it's to be faithfully responded to. And if you share this presupposition with the psalmist and I, then you are in a great place to be encouraged and challenged by Psalm 119 this morning. If you do not share in this presupposition, then my prayer is that God would show you the the beauty and the necessity of his word this morning. Now, my, my love for Psalm 119 is evident, is it not? I elected to preach this psalm. There are far uh, shorter psalms that I could have chosen to preach. But this psalm is so near and dear to my heart. Indeed, some of the sweetest fellowship that I've had in my pastoral ministry has been over this psalm in the context of biblical counseling. That said, preaching Psalm 119, especially preaching Psalm 119 in one shot, presents challenges. Why is that? Because Psalm 119 is is a treasure trove filled to the brim. And today we're just going to take a little bit of that treasure out. And we're going to consider it and we're going to count it. And I trust that we'll be blessed by it. Let me tell you my, my pastoral aim for our time in God's word today. It's there in the outline. Both my purpose of and my prayer for the sermon this morning are that you would look to, listen to, learn, long for, love, and live in light of God's word more as a result of our time in Psalm 119. A lot of luz in there, huh? That's my prayer. 
That's the purpose of why we're going through Psalm 119, for you to, to look to and for you to listen to and learn and long for and love and live in light of God's word more than you currently are. So God, help us. I simply want to encourage each and every one of you, wherever you're at this morning, to increasingly do what you ought to do in regard to the word of God and the God of the word. So how shall we achieve this goal? Well, the outline, once again, in your outlines is first, I'm going to give you a, a general introduction to Psalm 119, kind of give a, a survey, a lay of the land of what's going on in Psalm 119 to anticipate the reading of Psalm 119, which we'll do after the introduction. And then after that, I'm going to present 10 thematic imperatives imperatives from Psalm 119. And, and what I mean by that is that there's these themes or these categories from which we can derive commands that in light of what God's word says in Psalm 119 about the scripture, there are things that we ought to do. And so I'll present those after we read Psalm 119. So if you would begin with me, please, in the introduction, a general introduction of Psalm 119, I want to say up front, if you want a kind of a systematic verse-by-verse, stanza-by-stanza treatment of Psalm 119, then I highly recommend George Zemeck's commentary on Psalm 119, George Zemeck, Z-E-M-E-K, and his commentary is entitled, The Word of God and the Child of God. I was immensely helped and influenced by this commentary, especially in this first point. George, George Zimmick says that the devotional heartbeat of Psalm 119 is the word of God, forgive me, is the God of the word powerfully internalizing the word of God and the child of God. The God of the word powerfully internalizing the, God, the word of God and the child of God. Another commentator notes this. He says, with exquisite beauty, and with inspired depth of thought, the writer of the 119th Psalm draws out these varied aspects of divine truth and presents the law of God in every light in which the experience of a godly man can regard it. We all have experiences. We all have difficulties. We all have challenges. Psalm 119 helps us to grasp the word of God regardless of what circumstance or experience we find ourselves in. Let's talk a little bit about the, the form of Psalm 119. In the original Hebrew, the psalm is an acrostic, which means that the, which means that the artistic pattern of the psalm simply follows the Hebrew alphabet. Each verse of each stanza begins with the same Hebrew letter. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and there are 22 eight-verse stanzas in Psalm 119, which gives us our 176-verse psalm. And so, for example, in verses 1 through 8 of the psalm, each verse begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is Aleph. And then in verses 9 through 16, each verse begins with Baith, which is the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. As a matter of fact, in most of your English Bibles, you'll see there, before at the head of every stanza, Generally, there'll be an English transliteration of the Hebrew letter, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Daleth, Hey, and so forth. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but what's the purpose of that? 
What's the purpose of an acrostic? There's multiple purposes for this format. And first is simply this, is it provides orderliness. It provides orderliness which can support the, the emphases and the nuances and the meaning of a topic. And so as we work our way through Psalm 119, we're going to see that it systematically addresses the Word of God. And I like to think of Psalm 119 as the first systematic theology on the Word of God. That this is God writing a bibliology, if you will, of his very own word through the psalmist. But there's a second purpose. And the second purpose is this, is that acrostics are helpful mnemonic devices that assist in learning and remembering the topic at hand. I think sometimes it's easy for us to forget that this is a hymn book when we read through the Psalter. And so these would be read and sung more often than not and recorded and uh, recited over and over and over again such that oftentimes, just like we sing our favorite worship songs, they just well up from our heart because we've known them well. So if you're going to have 176 verses, it's nice to have an acrostic so that you can learn it and recite it from the heart. But lastly is this, acrostics can convey a sense of a topic being exhausted or completely addressed. We will find that the psalmist delivers an eightfold A to Z, if you will, about the word of God. And when one finishes the psalm, there is a feeling that not much more needs to be said about God's word, but rather the word of God simply needs to be responded to in faith. And I trust that we'll sense that as we read the psalm. Let's talk a little bit about the nature of Psalm 119, the nature of Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is a psalm that is intended to teach others by means of an individual's testimony about God's word. A psalm that's intended to teach others by means of an individual's testimony about God's word. Nearly 300 times the psalmist employs first-person pronouns, I and me and mine. However, I love this, the psalmist never loses sight of God. It's not self-centered. It's not self-focused. The topic is, yes, an individual, but it's always in relation to God, and we see this as the psalmist addresses the Lord with the second-person pronoun, your, over 200 times. One commentary helpfully classified Psalm 119 in this way. It said, Psalm 119 is both an individual lament and a meditation on God's instruction at the same time. So when we talk about lament, we're realizing that someone's in a situation of oppression or persecution. And we find in this psalm that the psalmist is indeed, he's pressured and he's persecuted and he's oppressed by his enemies such that he laments, he cries out, he calls upon the name of the Lord in his difficult situation. But even more than that, he is consoled by God in his word in the midst of his difficult situation. And as we read through this psalm, we're going to find elements of of protest and confessions of trust and prayers for help and assertions of innocence and calls for divine intervention and petitions for enablement and vows of obedience and imprecations upon enemies and praises unto the Lord. This is a full-orbed psalm with a lot going on in it. In short, we can say that Psalm 119 is 
a medley of prayer and praise and protest in accordance with the wisdom of God and his word. Let's talk briefly about the development of Psalm 119. Again, Zimmick states, This great psalm evidences a continuity of thought that could well be described as general, variable, and sporadically transparent. So there is a coherent linear movement as there's a journey going on in the psalmist's mind. The psalm begins with an introduction or a prologue in the first two stanzas. And then as we exit out of that, we find that it's followed by these initial petitions and these initial laments and initial promises. But by the time we get toward the middle of the psalm, we see intensified laments that then give way to eternal perspectives and a great enjoyment of God's word. And as one journeys toward the end of the psalm, greater confidence and greater dependence on God and his word appears. And some have even suggested that each stanza of the psalm has a primary thought, such that there are stepping stones as you make your way through this journey, ending up in praise and confidence and dependence on the Lord. This is, in, this is very important for us to grasp, and that's the synonyms, the synonyms for God's word in Psalm 119. If you're familiar with Psalm 119, you realize that there are a lot of terms being used that speak about God's word. As a matter of fact, there are eight Hebrew terms that are used repeatedly for God's word in Psalm 119. And on one hand, these terms are synonymous in that they do refer to the word of God. Yet on the other hand, these terms are distinguishable in that they provide a nuance or an emphasis on the word of God. So let's consider these eight Hebrew terms. The first term is this, Torah, which is translated law. And we see that 25 times in Psalm 119. And perhaps when we first hear this word, we think immediately about the first five books of the Bible, the, the Law of Moses or the Pentateuch, known as the Torah. And certainly, the first five books of the Bible are uh, the Torah. But we have to understand what that word means before those first five books are composed. And it's this simple idea. It's an idea of instruction or direction. So there's a sense in which all of God's word is Torah. All of God's word is instruction or direction. God's law indicates his will and his instruction and his direction for you and I, for man. And applied to the totality of scripture, God's word is a gift to us. God's word is a gift to us for man's well-being. You ever ask yourself the question, where would I be without the word of God? I ask myself that often. Where would I be? What a gift we have in God's word. That brings us to the second term, Ada or Aduth. It's translated testimonies. And we see this 23 times in Psalm 119. And this term refers to God's witness concerning who he is, what he has done, and what he requires. And so the authoritative source, God himself, is stressed here. God being the source of his own testimony, his self-witness, if you will, indicates that man is accountable to God himself 
after having received the testimony of God. The third term is picodim. It's translated precepts. We see it 21 times, 21 times in Psalm 119, and it means something appointed or something ordered or something charged. And this is what we call the perceptive or the moral will of God wherein he communicates his expectations of man to man, which then you and I are obligated to uphold. And when we think of God's precepts, joyful submission is the only proper response to God's precepts. The fourth term, hok or hukka, is translated statutes. We see this 22 times in the psalm. And these are God's decrees or that which God has ordained and recorded in written form. You get the idea that it's set in stone, that God has ordained it to happen. It's been recorded in his word such that it's set in stone and you can bet that it's going to occur. The fifth term is mitzvah, translated commandments. We see this 22 times in the psalm. And there are multiple words for commandment in Hebrew, but this word emphasizes God's right, God's right to give orders. Sometimes we're offended when we're told something from God's word. How dare you tell me? Well, when we just preach the word, you know what we get to say? I'm not telling you. Your creator is. And he has the right to do it. That's the idea behind this. It emphasizes the authority of the word because God has the right to command his creation and his creatures. The sixth word is mishpat. Mishpat, and it's translated judgments, and we see this 23 times in the psalm. And this term is used in two ways in the psalm. The first way it's used is as a call for God to enact judgment. As the psalmist is persecuting, as he considers his enemies, he's, he's asking God to execute judgment against his enemies. But it's the second way that it's used that refers to God's word. And the second way it's used refers to God's revealed decisions, or his inscripturated ordinances. It's that latter sense in which it is a synonym for God's word. The seventh word is debar or devar. We see it translated as word, and we see it 24 times in Psalm 119. And this is the most general term for God's word. It seems to indicate that which proceeds from the mouth of God. We know that Paul tells us in 2 Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed, and so we get a picture there that what Scripture is is proceeding from the very mouth of God. And we know that the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, man does not live on bread alone, but upon every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In a few instances, this term conveys a, a sense of promise. That is, God has spoken, and God does what he says. The eighth and final term is imrah, and this can be translated word or promise, and we see this 19 times in the psalm, and it really conveys a promise. And I want to let you know, saint, that if you are going to be comforted by God's word, we must understand this aspect of God's word. In the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of your depression, in the midst of your persecution, we must look beyond ourselves, and beyond our circumstances, and affirm God's word as promise. God will keep his word, 
and the promises of Scripture applied to Christian believers are truly promises for Christian believers. So, be comforted by God's word as promise, saint. These eight synonymous terms are like facets of one gemstone. The, the gemstone, of course, being the word of God. And, and as we turn that gemstone, we see different refraction of God's light, which are the different emphases and the different nuances and the different intricacies from God through his word. I love what Derek Kidner says, speaking about these eight synonymous terms. He says, and I quote, Like a ring of eight bells, eight synonyms for scripture dominate the psalm. And the 22 stanzas will ring changes on them. They will do it freely, not with a bell ringer's elaborate formulae, and they will introduce an occasional extra term. But the synonyms, the eight synonyms, belong together. And we should probably not look to each to show its distinct character at every occurrence, but rather to contribute by its frequent arrival to our understanding of what Scripture is, of what Scripture is. Before we read the psalm, let me briefly address the attributes, the attributes and reaction to the Word of God. First, the attributes. The Word of God... And the God of the Word share attributes. They share attributes because Scripture's ultimate source is God Himself. And so we can think of it this way as someone said, by explicit parallelisms and implicit associations which surface throughout the psalm, the Word of God functions characteristically as a mirror reflecting the image of its ultimate divine source. And so we, we don't just love a book because it's a book. We love the author of this book who has seen fit to reveal himself through his word. And so God and his word are inseparable such that we can say, because God is truth, his word is truth. Because God is righteous, his word is righteous. Because God is faithful, his word is faithful. Because God is powerful, his word is powerful, and on and on and on. We love the Word of God because we love the God of the Word. It's vitally important for us to understand. And he has seen fit to give us his Word, to preserve his Word, such that we might know him and relate to him according to his Word. Lastly, the reactions. Reactions to the Word of God in Psalm 119. As we read through this psalm, we will find that the psalmist is aware of his right relationship with the Lord, we will see that he is aware of his own weaknesses, his own sinfulness. We'll see he's aware of his present persecution and his personal problems and his energetic enemies. All these lead him to bold prayers and affirmations in accordance with God's word. And these bold prayers and affirmations display many reactions to God and his word, but I want to highlight two of them before we read the psalm. First, the psalmist reacts to the word of God by expressing his utter dependency on God. The psalmist reacts to the word of God by, de by expressing his dependency on God. Again, Zimic says, every statute or every statement by the psalmist, including the boldest ones, ultimately breathes in an atmosphere 
of dependency. His motivations are energized by divine presence and privilege, not by human pressures and pretense. Therefore, conformity to the law of God is proportionately and progressively realized through communion with the God of the law. He's dependent on God. Secondly, the psalmist reacts to the word of God by acknowledging the need to rightly study it. He reacts by acknowledging the need to rightly study it. Again, Zemeck says, for him, the psalmist that is, this is so good, hear me. For him, the psalmist, that is, diligent study as approved by God must include not only memorization, but also internalization and application. So you can't just remember it intellectually if we're going to study the word of God as God approves. But you know the word, you study the word to remember the word and to learn the word, to internalize it such that it becomes part of who you are and then to live your life in accordance with it wherever you are, you're applying the truth therein. That's the proper study of the word of God. And Charles Spurgeon rightly summarizes the Christian's response to the word of God when he said this of this psalm. The man of God exerts himself. The man of God exerts himself, but does not trust himself. May that be our response as we now turn to the reading of Psalm 119. I'm asking you to buckle in, to focus your head and your heart on God's word, quite frankly, because the best things that I'm going to say today are what we're about to read. It's not a hard psalm to understand, but we are both challenged and encouraged by it. And so please open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Psalm 119. And hear and receive the inspired and authoritative word of the triune God. He is the only true God. And this is his word. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your heart in my word that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. 
take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Let me lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness give me life. Verse 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with, my, with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Verse 65. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands have made and fashioned me. 
Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I've become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I've not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made me an end. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the word, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they shall stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie and wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my en enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your promise, that I may live. And let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up, that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. Verse 121. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. 
Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant accordingly, according to your steadfast love, and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Verse 145, with my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord. According to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from my testimonies, from your testimonies, that you have founded them forever. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts 
I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. What a psalm. I would imagine at this point, you're both convicted and encouraged. And that's what this psalm does. Wherever you're at in your relationship with your, with your Lord and your understanding of his word, you're not home yet. Amen? So, so we need to dig more deeply and study more accurately and apply more regularly the truth of the word. And so, from this psalm, I'm going to present to you 10 thematic imper imperatives from Psalm 119. And I, I want to let you know that these are not ha hard and fast themes. You're going to find as we read some of these psalms, you're going to say, but, but Kenny, that could have gone in another category. I'm well aware of that. Nevertheless, they're legitimate themes from which we can derive these 10 commands. The first is this. Be blessed. Be blessed by God's word. If there's anything that you're going to listen to, that's what I want you to hear. That, that knowing God's word and studying and believe it is a blessing and you're going to be blessed if you study it and apply it. That's what I want you to hear. Be blessed in seeking God in his word and keeping God's word and walking in God's word. The psalmist says in verses 1 through 3, Blessed are those who, whose way is blameless, whose walk, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. Does that not remind us of Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which bears its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In everything he does, he prospers. It's by the word that you'll be blessed, saints. So be blessed by God's word. The second command familiarize God's word. Familiarize God's word. You guys got scared when you saw the parentheses with all those verses in there. You thought I was going to go through every verse. Huh? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to pull out a few because I know you guys got things to do today. But familiarize God's word. And what I mean by that is gain knowledge and understanding through studying and remembering God's word. And in all those verses that are there for you, you're going to find things like fixing your eyes upon God's word and learning God's word, and guarding your heart with it, and meditating on it, and being taught it, and not forgetting it, and believing it, and understanding it, and seeking it, and considering it, and knowing it. Familiarize God's word, beloved saints. For example, we see in verse 71, Isaac already preached this. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Oh, that's powerful. That it's in the valleys that we have an opportunity to commune more intimately with our God through his word. 
such that when trials and tribulations comes, we say, thank you, Lord. I must now go up and get closer than I have previously. Or, for example, in verses 93 through 95, the psalmist says, I will never forget your precepts. Why? Why don't we forget the word of God? Well, the psalmist tells us, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. In the midst of his affliction and his challenges and his tribulations and his persecution, he's comfortable. Yes, concerned, but comfortable in his God because he knows his God's word. Saint, familiarize God's word. Number three, obey God's word. Obey God's word. In those verses, you'll find things like keeping the word of God. Setting the word of God before you, choosing it, walking in it, not turning or straying or swerving from it, but rather turning to it. Not delaying to do it, but rather hastening to do it. Not forsaking it, but depending on God and then doing it and simply being a doer of the word is what the psalmist communicates. For example, in verse 30, the psalmist says, I have chosen the way of faithfulness, I set your rules before me. Do we hear the act of volition there? It's not just a lazy let go and let God, but he's making a volitional decision, a, a choice of the will. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. That means I'm turning away from the way of falsehood and foolishness, and I'm turning to the way of faithfulness because I set your rules before me. Where he says in verses 44 and 45, I love this. I will keep your law continually forever and ever. And I shall walk in a wide place for I have sought your precepts. The picture there is a picture of peace. That the Lord has set him in a wide place and that's his future hope. Because why? Because he has obeyed and followed the word of God. Number four. Acknowledge God in his word and pray God's word. Acknowledge God in his word and pray God's word. We find the psalmist expressing desires and giving ascriptions to God in these verses. We also find this, this prayer that's kind of purposeful, that, that it has a goal, it has an end in sight. He uses that or so that. He says this, that, and the other, so that I might. And so he's purposefully praying as he acknowledges the Lord. We find petitions and imprecations and entreaties and praises and cries for help and all these things. And in some sense, we could say that the entirety of Psalm 119 is an acknowledgement of God and a prayer according to his word. And this is why prayer is important. Because prayer is simultaneously acknowledging God and expressing your dependence on God. It's acknowledging God and expressing your dependence on God. That's why, on God, that's why prayer is, at least in accordance with God's word, primary. For example, in verses 17 and 18, he says, Deal bountifully with your servant that I can have planes and cash and... No, that, that he can walk with the Lord. Deal with me bountifully, graciously, mercifully that I may live and keep your word. And then he says, open my eyes. 
that I may behold wondrous things after your law. You guys know when you read your Bible, you're not alone? That the author, the divine author of the Bible is with you? And so wouldn't it make sense for us to say, oh, Lord, help me and teach me and lead me and guide me and enable me and invigorate me? I can keep on going, but we got to move on. We need to call upon the name of the Lord as we open the word of God. Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. I'm weak and I'm frail. I need your help. And that's what the psalmist does here. He acknowledges God and he prays God's word. Number five, letter E, proclaim, proclaim God's word. In these verses, we see the psalmist offer declaration of God's word in prayer and in praise and in preaching. And we need to proclaim God's word, saints. And I think sometimes we think about proclaiming God's word simply to others, and we need to do that. Go therefore, make disciples. You must do that by proclaiming the word. But you need to preach the word to yourself as well. So many of us, when we feel a certain way, we give credence and give way to our feelings. How do you battle those feelings that aren't God-honoring? How do you battle those thoughts that aren't in accordance with God's word? Well, if you're not here, sitting under the preaching of God's word, then you might as well open up a Bible and preach it to yourself. Amen? So we need to proclaim God's word to ourselves and others. For example, I love this prayer he offers in verse 43. He says, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. His desire is for the word of God to continually be on his mouth. He says in verse 79, let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. That's not simply by osmosis. He's going to live in such a way that it's in accordance with God's word and he's going to proclaim the word of God as others turn to him. So we have to proclaim God's word. And also in song, I love in verses 171 through 72, he says, my lips will pour forth praise for you teach me your statutes. And then he says in verse 172, my tongue will sing of your word. And so we sing the word and we preach the word and we pray the word. Brothers and sisters, proclaim the word to yourselves, to your brothers and sisters in Christ and to those who need to know the truth of God's word. Number six, letter F, value and delight in God's word. Value and delight in God's word. In these verses, we find things simply as, uh, such as loving God's word and longing for God's word. Again, delighting in it. There's, there's a sense of a wholehearted devotion to it as you read these verses. Finding richness in God's word rather than thousands of pieces of gold and silver, rather the richness of the word is more important to the psalmist and then rejoicing in it. For example, verse 92 he says, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. We've got to be warned. If we're not delighting in the Lord and his word, the concern is, is that we'll perish in our affliction. Because he says to us, if the, if the word wasn't his delight, he certainly would have perished. But because the word is his delight, he can hold on to it and press on and see God in the midst of 
of the challenge. He says in verse 131, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Oh God, help us. Get this picture of a panting dog who needs some water in a hot Southern California day. Is that what we do? Because we do need God's word more than the hot dog needs the water. So Lord, help us to pant. Help us to value it such that we long for it, as the psalmist instructs us here. Number seven, affirm. Affirm the truth of God's word. Affirm the truth of God's word. In these verses, we see things such as the realities within God's word. We, we see faithfulness of God's word. We see the eternal nature of God's word, the immutable nature of God's word. We see the inexhaustibility that you, once you think you know the word, you ain't there yet. You can dig more and understand more. You see the rightness or the correctness of God's word, the righteousness or the, the faultlessness of God's word. For example, in verse 89, the psalmist says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. You know how much confidence we can have as we study this word? Forever. It's fixed. It's a done deal, he says. And so we can affirm that truth. Or in verse 120, I love this. He says, my flesh trembles for fear of you, and I'm afraid of your judgments. One of the ways that we affirm the truth of God's word is by fearfully walking with the Lord. It's one thing to say we, we believe it and we trust it, but not to live in light of it. You're affirming the truth of God, God's word when it comes to bear on your soul such that you walk in a different way. I must move on. Number eight. Be zealous. Be zealous or be passionate for God's word. In these verses, we see things, once again, like longing for God's word. We see an indignation toward those who forsake the word of God. We see hoping in God's word. We, we see a hatred of falsehood. We see a hatred of the double-minded who obstruct obedience to God's word. We also see a brokenheartedness for those who don't obey God's word. And we see an, e uh, an earnestness and an eagerness for God's word. He says in verse 139, my zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Or he says in verse 136, my eye shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. That's a deep passion for the word of God. Number nine. Oh, saints, be confident. Be confident in outcomes from God's word. This is perhaps my favorite point. Because if we're confident in what God says he will do, and there are so many benefits that come from that. The psalmist tells us that there's a peace from God's word, that there's a wholeness from it, if we believe it and are confident in it, that, that true life actually comes from it, that it's the means by which one is saved. 
that strength comes from it, that a lack of shame comes as a result of living according to God's word. We see that the, the psalmists offer emboldened prayers because he's confident in God's word. We see beneficial influence by living according to God's word. That you will have an influence, brother, sister, on other people simply by walking in accordance with God's word. That's an outcome of what God does with his word in the believer. We see that clarity and vision come from the word of God. We see that wisdom comes from the word of God. We see that there's really a safety for the believer as they walk in light of the word. We see disaster for the unbeliever who rejects the word. We see certainty of future judgment according to God's word. We see stability from God's word. We see deliverance by God's word. We see help from God's word all in those verses set forth for you. And let me acknowledge this, that some of those outcomes are immediate, but not all of them. So be patient. There are immediate promises and there are future promises. God will do it all. For example... Verses 49 and 50. The psalmist says, Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. Then he says, This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. And so there's a confidence there that he can call upon God to remember his word because, God, you spoke it, and so I know you're going to do it. The question is what? It's not if you're going to do it, but, but when are you going to do it? He's calling for God to, to, to carry out what he has promised to do. Or, for example, we see in verse 82, for example, he says this, My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? Verse 84, how long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? There's a way of interpreting that, that we say, well, he's obviously doubting God. But he's not. You're going to do it when? Because I'm in a bad spot. But as we work our way through the psalm, we realize that he depends and he trusts on God's word. Oh, how we can be confident in the outcomes that are clearly indicated in God's word, saints. And lastly, lastly, be resolved. Be resolved and depend on God to walk in God's word. Be resolved and depend on God to walk in God's word. We find in these verses promises to, to live out the word of God, commitment to live the word of God, expressions of volition, I will, I will, I will. We see trusting in God's enablement. We see an immense measure of humility. He says in verse 8, for example, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Do you see the, the sides of the coin there? It's, it's the same coin. God, I am going to do this. Now help me. God, I'm setting my heart. I'm inclining my heart to do what you have called me to do. Now help me. Don't forsake me. I can't do it on my own strength. Or in verse 10, he says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I'm going to strive for you. I'm going to toil. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to set my heart. But hold me as I do it. 
where he says in verses 15 and 16, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. There's resolve there, saint. There's commitment there. And sometimes we need to ask God to strengthen our resolve. Let me go to the last two verses of Psalm 119. really these two verses that, at least in my mind, impress upon us that this psalmist is not just a self-righteous guy. He has it all figured out. Look at all the wonderful things I've done. But these last two verses really impress upon us his utter dependency on God, which is why he's resolving all throughout the psalm. He says, let my soul live and praise you. And let your rules help me. Listen to this humility. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. As much as he can say that he loves the word and he lives the word, by the end of the psalm, he wants to do so more. And that's why wherever you're at in your walk with the Lord, that's where we need to be as well that we long to love God and his word more. And so, beloved, by the grace of God, I call you to look to and to listen to and to learn and to long for and to love and to live in light of God's word more. And I promise this, that in so doing, you will be blessed. Lord, would you help us with this brief introduction in some sense of Psalm 119, would you help us to glean from it, to be encouraged by it, to be challenged by it, and Lord, to delight in the truth of your word. Would you remind us how blessed it is for us to live in light of your word. Would you remind us, Lord, of the time that we came to you according to your word and we saw that our former way of life was nothing to be desired. And you opened our eyes and we beheld maybe for the very first time of your beauty and your goodness according to your word such that we took our first step in it. Remind us, O oh Lord, that path is set before us to continue to know you through your word and to walk in your word such that we might be blessed and be a blessing. So when we see your face, you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. But I'm thankful for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who perfectly kept your word such that when we do fall short, our confidence is not in our obedience, but in his obedience. Yet it's the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ that encourages us and motivates us to live according to the word. So Lord, for those who are down, I pray that you would lift their heads, that you would allow them to see the beauty of the Savior, 
how he loves to open his arms and welcome sinners who have fallen short. How he says it is finished on that, Christ, on that cross such that we can trust in his person and his work and then live all by your grace, for your glory, for our good, and for the benefit of those under our influence. Help us to this end, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.